Hey guys, it's Andrew, and if you've been following our podcast for a while now, you may be aware that I've been working on a feature film that I wrote and directed last fall called An Angry Boy. It's a revenge thriller about a teenager who goes on the hunt for a sadistic cult, so I think it's right up your alley if you like our content. I'll keep it short right now, because I know you want to get to the podcast, and there's more information over on our Kickstarter page, but we have some awesome rewards over there, like getting your name on a Scary Mysteries video, being invited to the online world premiere, which will be hosted by me, and is only available through Kickstarter, and it will be where you can see the movie months before its release worldwide. There's also posters, deleted scenes, signed scripts, and a chance to get your name in the actual credits of the movie itself. So if you've enjoyed the content that we've put out over the years, then please do consider helping us out. If you want to see some of the movie, rewards, and more info about it, then please visit the Kickstarter link in the description. Thank you guys so much. And now, enjoy the episode. What's up, guys? Looks like you're here to learn about some freaky news happening in the world. Well, great, because that's what we do. So, welcome to another episode of Twisted News. And seriously, if you haven't gone and checked out our other podcast called Everytown, just go over there after this, and I promise you won't be disappointed. Now for today, we're looking deep into how police investigations work, and how in Rome, they uncovered the identity of an unknown serial killer. In the second story, which may leave a bad taste in your mouth, we're going to learn about a suspected killer who walked free, despite all the evidence pointing his way as the guilty one. Number 1. Serial Killer in Rome In 2001, in the city of Rome, Italy, police came across a bizarre case of a 58-year-old nurse who went missing. On March 29th of that year, Maria del Unto was going about her day normally. Before she got dressed and left the house, she even took out from the freezer the meat that she wanted to prepare for dinner that night. But Maria never made it home, and no one knew where she went or what had happened to her. Because of this uncharacteristic event, Maria's daughters reported her disappearance to the police, and fortunately, they immediately took the report seriously. Then, all throughout the investigation, the family received telegrams and letters supposedly sent by Maria. However, to them, along with the investigators, these were obvious attempts to lead the investigation astray. Aside from this, there was another odd incident that was considered noteworthy to investigators. The day after Maria was reported missing, the family received an unexpected visit from one of their mother's longtime friends, Angelo Stasi. Apparently, he even cried and hugged one of the daughters. But investigators doubted his sincerity because of phone records they had dug up. You see, on the day that Maria went missing, she and Angelo were in communication. But Angelo vehemently denied this. So police had to seriously wonder why an innocent man would do that. Ultimately, though, not much came of their investigation into Angelo because the police didn't have anything to go on other than suspicions. So the case went cold, but in 2008 it was reopened, and that was when things started to look real bad for Angelo. Police found out the identity of the woman who sent out the letters, 
and she told him that Angelo was the one who made her do it. He also learned that he was in debt where even Maria loaned him money and took out a loan under his name. His debt totaled to about 40 million lira, or about $20,000 in today's money. Police then put Angelo's vehicle and phone under surveillance. They also encouraged the media to talk about his involvement in the disappearance of Maria to add stress to him, which they hoped would get him talking. When investigators paid a visit to Angelo's workplace, there they learned that the hospice center had experienced an odd increase of deaths, which were eventually linked to Angelo. They noticed this trend rising since he was hired and stopping when he was fired. This discovery made the police even more suspicious of the man. Not only was he the main suspect in the death of one woman, but there was also the possibility that he was responsible for the premature death of 7 to 10 more people who suffered from hypoglycemic seizures. And this discovery made him even more notorious, as he could possibly be categorized as a serial killer if this was proven true. Upon his arrest, police were already sure that he had murdered Maria, and they had accumulated enough evidence from their surveillance to pin it on him. They also identified the ring sent along with the letter in 2001 to belong to the victim, and a watch confiscated from Angelo's former girlfriend was also identified to have belonged to Maria. After having lied during his first confession now, Angelo eventually revealed where he buried Maria's body. He told the police he stabbed her in the neck when they met on March 29th, all because of the money. It was also revealed later on that his murders of the elderly were also for money. Apparently, after killing a patient by overdosing them with insulin, he would recommend funeral homes to the family and would receive commissions from the homes if the transaction pushed through. In 2010, he was then sentenced to 24 years in prison for the murder of Maria. He was then eventually prosecuted for two out of the ten murders, which landed him an additional life prison sentence. The discovery of crimes committed by serial killer Angelo Stasi, thanks to the dedication of the cold case unit who pursued justice for the case of Maria, was nothing short of incredible. Had they never picked up on the old case, there's no telling how much longer Angelo could have continued committing crimes involving money and the lives of innocent and vulnerable people. Here at Scary Mysteries, we're always looking out for our health, and you should too, because we all know that the world out there can be crazy. It's important to keep a healthy mind, body, and soul, which is why we take Goalie's Superfruit Gummies. Goalie's are delicious, and the easiest way to include lots of superfruits and essential vitamins into your daily wellness routine. I love them because they taste great. I'm not swallowing pills to get vitamins, but instead chewing some awesome gummies that give me what I need to feel healthy. There's no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors, so it's just the good stuff. So go and get yourself some goalies right now. Go to go.goalie.com slash scary mysteries, and you will be brought straight to the checkout page with our amazing discount already applied. It can't get easier than that. Once again, that's go.golly.com slash scary mysteries and make Goalie part of your wellness routine today. 
These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Number two, killer husband set free. A case becomes extremely frustrating when almost everything, circumstances, pieces of evidence, and even the situation itself, points to a suspect, but still nothing can be done about it. This case is exactly that. In 1991, 22-year-old Carrie McCrary was living with her young family in a suburban neighborhood in Anderson, Indiana. She was a wife to a man named James, a mother of two, and a career woman working as a supervisor for customer support for a financial advisory company. Despite her hectic schedule of having an infant and a toddler, the young family seemed to be working out. However, the couple started having marital problems, and those close to them knew this, as Kelly had actually confided in her colleagues at work about some of their issues. Apparently, when they fought, James would be physically abusive to Kelly. During one of these instances, Kelly alleged that James hit her, and then put a sock in her mouth and covered it with tape, tied her up, and dragged her into the garage. He attempted to poison her through carbon monoxide from the vehicle. Luckily, though, she only lost consciousness. This, Kelly recalled, was one incident when James almost killed her. On June 8, 1991, Kelly left their suburban home at around 1.10 in the morning to go to work. This was, according to her husband, James, who said he went to bed just as soon as his wife left. She drove off in her black 1981 Buick Century, but never made it to work. Kelly was gone with no trace or any clue about her whereabouts. Despite the investigation and the search for Kelly, her husband James moved out of their home in Anderson into another place that was about 130 miles away in Linton, Indiana. It was not really clear why he did this, but it was definitely a questionable thing to do when it had only been a few days ago that his wife went missing. 20 days after she was last seen, Kelly's vehicle was then found in the parking lot of the community hospital north. Upon investigations, police found 29 strands of hair in the trunk of the car. These were proved to have belonged to Kelly, yet no other incriminating evidence was found in the vehicle. James was immediately named as the main suspect, which was normally done in cases like this, but no other evidence could be used to incriminate him. Two years later, a friend of James came forward with chilling information regarding Kelly's whereabouts, because apparently James told her that when the couple had an argument, he shoved his wife, which caused Kelly to hit her head on a table and lose consciousness. James then wrapped up her body in a blanket after she had bled to death. Using her vehicle, he put her body in the trunk and disposed of her remains in a location which remains undisclosed. He then abandoned the car in the parking lot where it was later found. Looking into it further, police found blood stains under the carpet which corroborated this friend's information and this led to James's arrest in November of 1993. But still, during his trial, his defense argued that there was the possibility of Kelly running away or meeting harm in another person's hands, 
but not in the hands of her own husband. Kelly's colleagues also testified during that trial, disclosing the carbon monoxide poisoning story, as well as Kelly's fear of leaving James. According to them, she was fearful of what her husband might do if she ever left him. Despite all this information, however, James was never charged with Kelly's disappearance and possible murder. Due to the fact that the young mother's body still remains missing to this day, there just wasn't enough evidence for the jury to base their conviction. To make matters even worse, while in jail during the trial, James even seemed to express his confidence about not being charged guilty. His cellmates testified that he told them, no body, no murder. And to this day, that remains to be an ugly truth because James walked free while Kelly still remained missing. Due to double jeopardy, meaning after having been prosecuted twice for the same crime, he could never be tried again for Kelly's case, even if a body was found. It's frustrating to know that cases like this do exist, which makes them all that much more important to know about. Where the victims could almost taste justice, but because of certain circumstances, it remains out of reach and unattainable. So, there were two of the most disturbing news stories around for you guys. If you liked this episode, please check out more. And if you're interested in stories that are discussed more in-depth, you gotta go check out our podcast, Every Town. Links are down in the description below. Please rate and subscribe and share us with your friends. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you in the next one.